Hey, so for the past few weeks, we've been in a study of the book of Joshua. And we started this series, I called it Fearless. We started this series mostly because I needed it, mostly because I just needed a little bit of some encouragement. Because, as I told you already, our church has been through a little bit of a financial downturn, an attendance downturn. And one of the things that I needed personally to remember is that there is no reason for us to be hesitant or fearful with regard to the advancement of what God is doing in this world. There is no reason for us to be hesitant or fearful about any of those things because, as a matter of fact, God has given us some incredible promises, and when we walk in those promises, He fulfills His work in our midst. And so numbers and statistics can mean something, but God means far far more. And so I wanted to do this series to encourage all of us, myself included, to be a little bit more fearless or, you know, at least to fear a little less as we go through this journey of trying to live the life of faith, trying to help other people come to know this life of faith as well. And our theme verse is the theme verse of Joshua. We put it up on the screen every week so far. We'll do it again. Joshua 1 verse 9 says these words. God says to Joshua, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's the fundamental reality. God says to Joshua, I'm with you. You've got no reason to be afraid. As long as God is with us, there's no reason to be afraid. And then, of course, the question after that is, well, is God with us and and can we rely on him that way? And so we've been talking about that for the past few weeks. And each week what we've done is we've looked at the book of Joshua to find the book of Joshua's recipe for being fearless. And then we've compared that to the New Testament promises God has given us. And we've come up with a few basic principles, four basic principles. I'll just give them to you by way of review. They're on your note sheet. They're in the live event notes as well. The first one is just to remember that God is with you. That's what Joshua had heard from God. God said, I'm with you. You shouldn't be afraid. Remember. God is with us. But God isn't just with us to sort of stand next to us. He's with us in more ways than that. He's with us in the fact that he has given us promises and he has given us provision and his presence is powerful in our lives. And so because of those things, God is truly with us in more ways than one. And then the second principle was just you need to keep stepping. You need to keep taking your next step. And that's because God is not just with us in these other P words, as we sort of identified in that second week. God is also with us as we persevere in what God is asking us to do. Joshua and his, and his, uh, the nation of Israel marched around the city of Jericho, and they marched around seven days in a row, and on the seventh day, they marched around seven times in a row. And I just imagine on the sixth time around on that seventh day, maybe some of them were thinking about stopping. But here's the point. You don't know when the last step is before the walls fall. And so you have to keep taking that next step because that might be the step where God actually breaks through and keeps his promise all the way to you. And so step number two in fearlessness, after you remember that God is with you, then you just keep walking the path. You just keep stepping along the path. Keep taking your next step. And then number three was to uncover the things that might be holding you back. Every one of us is hiding things. And those things that we hide keep us away from full relationship with God. Those things that we hide keep us away from full relationship with other people. And they will come out and bite us if we leave them hidden. And so we have to be the people who say, no, I'm going to confess my sins. I'm going to bring them to the surface. I'm going to invite other people into my life. And I'm going to ask them to help me walk this journey. 
And then God will free us. And then lastly, it was to simply jump. Take the leap into God's promise. If God has made you a clear promise, then step into it boldly. And we've looked at a couple stories of that already. First of all, we looked at the fact that Joshua would just pray and say, God, keep the sun over there. Don't let it move. And God answered his prayer in some miraculous fashion. And so since God answered his prayer in miraculous fashion, we know that God is someone who answers prayers for people. And so one of our boldnesses is to just simply pray and to say, God, I'm going to go ahead and put this in your hands. I'm going to see how you work. And then last week we looked at a guy named Caleb, and his journey was one of just boldly stepping into God's promise, even though the obstacles were huge. He's like, I'm not letting anything stand in my way. Well, today we turn from looking at Joshua and looking at Caleb and these people who jumped into their promise and we start looking at you. We start looking at us because at the end of the book of Joshua, everything that other people have done is now turned in our direction and it's our responsibility to come up with an answer to a choice. Joshua lays out this choice at the end of the book. We're going to open it up in Joshua chapter 23, and we're going to see this at work. So we're going to go through all of Joshua 23 and 24 today. I want to invite you to get your Bibles going. Let's go ahead and read it. Joshua 23 verse 1, it says this, After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them. That's a big thing, by the way. God had given them rest from all of the battles they were fighting. Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I'm very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I've allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. This is key. He says, God has brought you this far, but God isn't done yet. You're not done yet. There's work left to be done, and God is going to continue to do the work in you. Keep going. Verse 6. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one's been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand, because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. He means death. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. 
Not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he's given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will quickly, you will quickly perish from the good land he's given you. This is the climax of the formation story of the nation of Israel. God had reached out to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And I'm going to give you this land. Three promises. I'm going to make you great into a great nation. I'm going to give you this land and you will be a blessing. And this is the culmination of the first two of those commands. While Abraham was still living, he only had one child. He had one child named Isaac. Then later on, Isaac had two children named Jacob and Esau. Uh, Abraham had another child that uh, was from another woman, but the child of the promise, he only had one, Isaac. And then Isaac had two children, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob eventually had 12 kids, but then all those kids moved down to Egypt because there was a famine in the land of promise. And for 400 years, they stayed in the land of Egypt. And God wasn't talking to them. It was a time of silence, a time of confusion, a time of not knowing what was going on. 400 years is a long time. Our country hasn't even been around for 400 years. And then God sends Moses. And Moses goes to the people and he says, it's time. God has heard your pleas. It's time for you to be liberated. It's time for God to fulfill the next phase of his promise. And he brings the people out of Egypt and they wander in the desert. They finally make their way to the land of Canaan, the promised land. And Moses dies and Joshua leads them into the land. And now they have finally become a nation and now they finally have their land. There's only one promise that remains. How will they be a blessing to the rest of the world? Well, that doesn't happen until Jesus shows up. But at least the first two promises have now come true. The climax of the whole Abraham story comes to a head right here in Joshua, where Joshua says God has kept his promises. He's kept his promises to you. Not one of his promises has failed. And this is important. Because Joshua is trying to remind them of what has already happened. And he says two major things. The first thing he says is that God has fought for you and he will fight for you. God has fought for you and he will fight for you. That's the first and most important thing Joshua wants them to remember about this past experience they have had entering into the land. God's the one who fought for you. God's the one who brought down the walls of Jericho. God's the one who stopped the sun in its tracks. God's the one who killed all those people with hailstones so that you didn't have to fight them. God is the one who did all this work for you. He has fought for you. And by the way, he still will. And the second thing he says to them is you need to hold fast to the Lord alone. You need to hold fast to the Lord alone. You see, once they enter into this land of peace and prosperity, one of their big problems is going to be just going it easy. And going it easy means making friends with the other people who still live around them and those other people who worship the foreign gods. And see, here's the danger. Here's the temptation. Anytime we go through a time of success, we are always tempted to put that success in our hands or in what the culture tells us is the reason. And so if we find success or failure, we will oftentimes just give ourselves the credit or we'll blame the culture around us, one of those things. 
And God says to the people of Israel, hang on a second. You're going to get inclined to pay attention to the culture around you. The culture around you that says if you do this thing, your crops will grow. And if you do this thing, your crops won't grow. If you sacrifice in this particular way to this particular idol, your crops will grow. And if you don't sacrifice to that idol, your crops won't grow. And God says, hold on a second. Who brought you this land? Who gave you this land? Who fought for you? Who's still fighting for you? Don't go to them. Hold to me alone. God says, I'm the source of your blessings. And this is the third thing. Joshua doesn't challenge them with this. He's just warning them with this. God is a promise keeper. And because God is a promise keeper, that means he will keep both his blessing promises and also his judgment promises. God will keep his blessing promises. He will also keep his judgment promises. And so Joshua says to these people, he says, listen, hold fast to the Lord alone because if you don't, God will bring on you all the judgments that he promised because God is a promise keeper. Now, Perhaps the question is lingering in your mind, do these things still apply to us today? Well, before we answer that, let's get into chapter 24, because what Joshua does in 24 is he takes this whole thing and he turns it up a notch. He takes it to a new level in 24, because in 23, he was only talking to the leaders of Israel. In 24, he gathers the entire nation together. They have a ceremony, they have a a massive gathering. And everybody comes together. Verse 1, chapter 24. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea." And the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help. And he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you. And you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Peor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. I want to pause there for just a moment. Because if it's not been clear to you yet, what Joshua is saying to these people is I, God speaking, God says, I brought you from nothing. Again and again. God says, Abraham was nothing, but I brought him into this land. And I gave him descendants. And those descendants were nothing. They had to go to Egypt just to survive. But I sent Moses and Aaron, and I brought them out. 
And then they ended up at the sea. And they were nothing compared to the Egyptian army. But I brought them over the sea. And I conquered the Egyptian army. And then they wandered in the desert. And they were nothing when the Amorites attacked them. But I gave them deliverance. And then you entered into this land. And you were nothing. And I brought you from nothing again and again. God says, listen. You have got to realize something. You have always been nothing. And I have always brought you out of it. Keep going. Look at verse 11. He says, Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you. As did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, Jebusites. But I gave them into your hand. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings, you did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. You did not toil, you did not build, you did not plant, but you experienced the wealth. God says, I gave you wealth that you didn't earn. And so here's what Joshua says, verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Write this down. Joshua says, so choose God. So choose God. This is important. See, you cannot, you cannot serve nothing. You have to serve something. That's the way we are designed by God. We are designed to be creatures who serve. And you have to serve something. And here's the thing. A lot of us like to pretend that we're independent. We like to pretend that we're on our own. We like to pretend that we serve no one else but ourselves. But the truth of the matter is, if you adopt the attitude of independence and you say, I will serve no one but myself, then you are a servant of the American independent idiom, the American independent notion of what right and wrong is. You aren't serving yourself. You're serving some philosophy. You're serving some philosophy that says you're the best and you need to maximize yourself. You're serving some philosophy that says, says, you're worth it and you need to treat yourself well. You're serving some philosophy that is outside of yours. You didn't invent it. Someone else invented it, but you bought into it. Listen, all of us serve someone. So choose. Choose who you're going to serve, but choose wisely. See, this is where we get it all backed up with God. We get it all turned around and backwards because we have a tendency to think that God works like this. I choose God, and then he blesses. We have a tendency to believe that. But what Joshua is trying to emphasize to the people of Israel, and the emphasis that still lasts into today, is this. You are nothing, and God keeps choosing you. And he keeps blessing you. And he keeps loving you. And he keeps giving so much to you. 
And he brings you from nothing again and again and again. So choose him. That's it. We have a tendency to think that God is responding to me when the call is for me to respond to him. God has brought you from nothing. He's given you wealth you didn't earn in so many different ways. And all of us experience that in different ways, but the fact remains, God has been blessing us. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, I've gone through so much hardship in my life, I can't imagine God's blessing on my life. And I'll simply say, well, you're still breathing. God's not done with you yet. There's a glorious future he has in mind for you. And God's promises are fulfilled in all of our lives in different ways. Sometimes they're just in the not yet place right now. But this is the claim that Joshua is making to his people, and it's the claim that I would begin to make to you today. Because of all that God has done and all that he will do, you should give yourself to him. And you have nothing to fear. See, Joshua says to the people, God's fought for you, and he will fight for you. God has blessed you. He will bless you. God will keep his promises to you. The question is not, do I have to do something to earn it? No. The answer is, I just need to receive it. Now, I want to make this personal because, as I said, a lot of times we can look at the Old Testament and we can ask ourselves the question, well, does God still work that way? Does God still do that? Is that promise still in effect for today? Well, I want to confirm to you that, yes, we are talking about you today. Look at the rest of this chapter just so that we can finish it out. Verse 16. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our journey. And among all the nations through which we traveled, and the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he's our God. And Joshua says to the people something profound. You are not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you're witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Joshua says, listen, God's going to hold you to this. Now then, Joshua said, throw away your foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord had said to us. It will be a witness against you if you're untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. And it's a beautiful sign there of that moment where Joshua says, you've made a commitment to follow the Lord. Even the earth has heard it. But then there's this little epilogue that shows up. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. 
And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath, Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. And Eleazar, son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. And what you need to get from that last little section is this. On the one hand, something glorious has happened. They buried Joseph's bones. Joseph had died in Egypt. And as a symbol that Egypt was not their home, Joseph asked for his bones to be brought to the promised land. And now they finally bury them. This is a symbol that God's promises have been fulfilled. But there's a dark side. Joshua's dead. The priest is dead. And we've just been told that they followed God as long as the elders stayed alive. But if you even begin to go into the next book, you learn that they quickly fall away. And the book of Judges is a terrible story of the people repeatedly following other gods. So I'm going to end our time with this. I'm going to show you four reasons why I believe you need to choose God and God alone for the rest of your life. Four reasons why you can give yourself completely to him. Promises that he has made to us and promises that he will definitely fulfill. What he has done and what he will do. Four things. Number one, God is your creator. And this is far more profound than we ordinarily think. And instead of taking you to Genesis 1, I'm going to take you into Colossians 1. Take a look at this verse. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. The clear teaching of Scripture is that Jesus Himself is the agent of all creation. The Father in heaven said, Let there be light, and Jesus made it happen. Jesus is the agent of all creation. In him, everything was made, including you and including me. So if you're ever wondering, what has God done for me lately? All of it. Like literally all of it. Number one, he's your creator. Number two, he is your savior. He is your savior. I don't want to take you to this passage. It's beautiful in 1 Peter. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. The Holy Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead to prove that the first half of this statement is true. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. A lot of times when we think of salvation, we think of going to heaven. And I want to expand your mind 
to say, no, Jesus is the kind of Savior who brings you to your Creator, who brings you to your God, who brings you into a relationship with Him. This isn't just about you experiencing some promise of the future that when you die, you're going to have some good things happen to you. No, this is a promise about today. Jesus is your Savior today. He brings you into a relationship with God. And so as a result, number three, He is your companion. He is your companion. This verse is so beautiful. I'm going to show this with you. It's just so incredible. Let's put it up on the screen. It says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. Those of us who follow Jesus have the spirit of God in us. It says, we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. This is an amazing promise. If you acknowledge that Jesus has come from God, God puts his spirit in you. He says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, that passage says, if you acknowledge Jesus, God puts himself in you. And if God is in you, you have no reason to fear. Because God's love fills your life. And you have no reason to fear the judgment. Because God is making you to be like Jesus. And so, God is my creator, he's my savior, he's my companion, walking with me through this life. Which leads us to the final thing. God is your good king. And so I'm going to take you to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. It's a longer section, but here it goes. The Apostle John says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Two kinds of books, one set of books and one single book. Go to the next one. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as written in the books. See, you need a lot of books to write down all the stuff you've done. It takes a lot of books to write down all the stuff everybody has done. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they'd done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And at this time of judgment, all of the books are opened, and everybody's activity has been laid bare. And now death and Hades get thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is called the second death. And then we get this line. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was also thrown into the lake of fire. See, here's the amazing thing. There's books and there's book. And the books say what you've done. And the book just has your name or not. And the books are how everybody is judged. But the book is how everybody is saved. If your name is in the book, you are not thrown in 
to the lake of fire with everything else. But if your name is not, then you have been judged. See, it's not a matter of what you've done. It's a matter of who knows your name. Keep going. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. After that, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be them with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Keep going. He says, he who has seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit this and I will be, my, I will be their God and they will be my children. Here's how it ends. Because of everything that God has done for us, because of all God's promises to us, I'm inviting you to give yourself to him because you have nothing to fear. God simply says this, I just want your name in my book. I just want your name in my book. Can I have your name in my book? Can I put your name down as one of mine? Can I call you my child? Can I call you my follower? Can I call you a servant for me instead of all the other things? Because if I can put your name in my book, We're all good. Jesus has opened the door for us to enter into that kind of relationship. And so maybe you've given your life to God before. Maybe you need to reaffirm it today. Maybe you're worried about the promises of God haven't come true in your life. Maybe you've been struggling with a particular promise that you've been waiting and waiting to come true. And I just want to affirm to you that these big promises, these big promises of God should be sustaining enough while we wait for the small promises to come through. These big promises that God has already given you all this amazing life and resources and, and the fact that he's created us, that he has saved us, that he walks with us, and the fact that we can look forward to a future with him eternally, these big promises should carry us through all of the waiting for the little promises. And so I want to ask you to spend a few moments right now to just come back to him and say, God, as for me and my house, I belong to you. As for me and my house, I will serve you, Lord. And just say once again, say, God, I'm committing myself completely to you. And I ask that you would do in my life all over again what you have promised before. Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you Live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.